0: We're moving on and starting a new section of the series called Future Relationships. What do my relationships look like, you know, somewhere down the road? Because what we do today is what uh, actually determines what those are going to look like. And today's an introduction, so we're not going to answer all your questions. Maybe actually you're going to leave with more questions and be like, what is, what is that all about? And that's a good thing. Because in the asking the questions, he can drop those kind of answers into your, into your heart. So over the series, we'll be talking about some stuff. I found different material in different places. A guy named Leon Fontaine that I listen to pretty regularly. There's a place called Focus on the Family, which just does that, you know, focuses on family. A guy named Andy Stanley, he's got a great series on right now media called Future Family. So maybe as you're talking about this and it's grabbing your heart a little bit, maybe just ask somebody. Ask maybe another couple, say, hey, would you be willing to do the, the right now media study with me? Maybe we could do it together and just go through, and, and maybe you want to try it on your own, but it never works well on your own. It's just so much better if you're doing it with somebody. Anybody agree? All the, all the people who are getting in groups, it's like this thing of, I'm in a group, you know, the, the, I'm, get, I'm getting to know people, and people are knowing me, and it's a part of who we are, and it's what we're actually talking about today. Our lives are made up of all kinds of different relationships, and all through our lives, we've experienced different parts, you know, like friendship, Remember remember that when you're like kids, and it's like, oh, it's just the best, right? Everybody's friends with everybody. And then, you know, down the road, it moves on to like, there's that dating relationship, you know, where you're more than friends. And, and um, you know, that we have shows about it. I would just recommend that don't do dating like this. Dating 26 women at the same time, it's not, not a good idea. Um, just saying. Um, uh, th- then, you know, you get to this engaged stage where we saw today, and, you know, everybody's celebrating Caleb, you know? <laughs> I love you. I know guys just don't do that, right? Um, But the girls, like you girls get all crazy about this ring. What you don't realize is you're just celebrating like the busiest season of your life yet to date. You know, now it was like dating was fun. Then you get engaged and now it's like, oh, we got to plan a wedding. And then the books come out and then you got to go all these places and you got to pick stuff. And I know you love it. Uh, It just gets so busy. My nephew just got engaged and all of a sudden they're talking about all the stuff that they got to do and it's nuts. And and then you get to that stage where you make it through all that and you get to this next stage called marriage. You know, and Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> the, this stage, and then you get in there, and you're like, oh, it's a whole different thing, and it brings a whole nother level of relationships. For those of you who have kids, now you're become a, you are know, become a parent-child. It brings in this relationship called mother-in-law. I didn't bring any pictures, just want to stay safe. You know, um, the, uh, the, the parent-child relationship, you know, and then there's siblings, you know, that relationship that happens. There's family, sports teams. Maybe, maybe it leads to used to be married, and for many, that's, that's a, a real relationship as well, and you're trying to navigate that one. Maybe and, and for some today here, you're in relationship with other people as part of God's family called the church. And so there's all kinds of relationships that um, affect our lives. And our hope as a church in this series is to help you have some develop healthy, life giving relationships. That where you're at, we're looking at where you're at is not necessarily where you need to be in your future. Uh, the thing about relationships is that they can bring incredible joy into our lives. You know, remember that if you've had children, you know that that when that first child is born and you're just like, oh, there's nothing like that joy that just floods your heart in like one of those... I won't describe the messy situation, but it's like, it's this incredible joy that just fills your heart. Or, or you know, when all of a sudden you, you're like, you find that the person you wanted to marry actually is willing to marry you. And you're like, oh, you know, there's an incredible amount of, of joy in your life. But the, the, the flip side of it's true as well, that relationships are, this, are also the number one thing that brings incredible amount of pain into our lives. Our lives are built up with these relationships things. Those same little children who just brought instant joy to our lives, they grow up. And they make these decisions that you're just like, oh, man, really? And some of the decisions that our kids make, not mine, but yours, break your hearts. <laughs> just kidding. You know, they, as they get older, it, it, it's like heartbreaking. I, I talk to families who, they're just in, in turmoil because of the decisions that their children are making. And it, why is it? It's those relationships or the pain, you know, when Mr. Wright, who was, you know, just so amazing, all of a sudden wants to be Mr. Wright for someone else. And it just brings this incredible amount of, Pain into into your life, and you know it's in spite of the potential for pain. You know, if you knew you're saying, "Hey, you know what? Um, this is 50 50% chance that I could get really hurt in this." It's like if you drove out onto the onto the the out of the driveway today with a 50% chance that you're going to get in a car accident. Most of you, are like, I, I'm just not I'm not taking that risk. I'm not driving out there. And yet, with the 50 50% chance of uh, of incredible pain, we still get involved in relationships all the time. Why is that? Because we crave it. There's something on the inside of us that just um, desires, even if there's no guarantee. You know, we, we, we have these guarantees and different things. You know, like if a car is broken, you're like, okay, well, let's fix the, find the broken part, fix that part, and it's fixed. And you can't do that in relationships, you know. Wife's broken, you try and fix her, she kills you, right? So there's, there's not, there's, it just doesn't work. There's no guarantees, and yet we, we crave it and we desire it because we've been designed for it. We've each been designed for it, and we live in a society right now that's like this throwaway society. It's this idea of, you know, we throw away stuff like diapers. Thank God for that. You know, they used to reuse those. But we throw away all kinds of stuff. Throw away cups. You've done it all this. Most of you this morning, you had a coffee and threw it away. You know, we throw away all kinds of things. TVs, cars, whatever. You know, drive, throw it away, get a new one. The thing is that that has carried over into the way we handle relationships as well. See it in school, you know, we're BFFs. Today and tomorrow, pff, who that person? They're so cool. You know, I'm talking to them. Their voice is squeaky, right? And it's like, that's, that's whatever. And then, you know, you got marriages where it carries on into that. And it's, you know, you see so often, it's like, ah, you know what? Pff, I don't like her anymore. i am trade her in for a younger one. You know, and it, it's, it, it's just so real in our lives. And something that we wanted to talk about, because I want to encourage you about something that even though relationships are tough, and difficult at times, they are worth fighting for, and and so in this series, you know, we're going to give you some thoughts and some things that are going to help kind of fix, potentially fix some solutions, but there's no one-size-fits-all solution for broken relationships. There just isn't. There's only a couple things that one-size-fits-all, handcuffs and spandex, and none of those are going to help you. So, you know, but this morning, I want to challenge you to listen with the ears of your heart, because you're going to need something specific for the scenario and situation that you're in, and Holy Spirit knows it. So it's it's going to be those things where, as we're talking, it's like, oh, that was me, you know. Ah, oh, that's something, and, and I know it because it happens to me all the time. As I'm listening and preparing, I'm like, oh, that's me. I need to do something with that. So this morning, I want to encourage you to listen with the with the um, the ears of your heart for what He might want to want to say to you. Uh, and, and teenagers, especially you, oh man, I wish uh, above all that you would listen so closely to what we're saying today, because for you, you got the best chance to actually make it work. Uh, as adults, we've already gone through that stage. We've already done all the screwing up and, and all that, and we can't go back. You have the chance to do it differently, and every adult would say yes. Yes, I uh, know, we're not gonna admit we're screwed up. All right, so, um, but we would want our teenagers to, to just give it, have, have, a, have a fighting chance. You know, every relationship, it's only as healthy as the least healthy person in it. So just just know that every relationship's only as healthy as the least healthy person in it. And so oftentimes we're looking for those those problems in the relationship. The where the, who's the least healthy person? And a lot of times we're like the neighbor lady, you know, who's like always oh, spying on you. She's like with her binoculars, just like they know everything that you're doing. You know, I remember like the times where where uh, you know, you're out having a fire, and all of a sudden the, the firefighters show up, and they like, you guys burning plastic? No, no, well, we have it on good authority. I'm like, oh, dang, it's a neighbor, right? How do they know that? You know, but they're, they're, they know all the bad stuff that you're doing. And, and so often, this is kind of how we are with relationships. We like, it's, we, we're, we're focused on that other person, and we've got our binoculars out, and we can find all the faults in them. And you know what? It's really easy to find faults in other people. Some of you think that's a spiritual gift. I'm sorry, but that is not. It's not discernment. It's just, it's really easy to do. You just hang around with somebody. You're going to find something wrong with them. Uh, and, and the closer you are to them, the easier it is to see and the more you're going to see. That's why your family seems to have so many more problems than the family next door. So don't compare your family, the close ones, to the ones you're not close to because it's dangerous. You don't really want their family. Because if you, you know, my wife, she just doesn't cook like that. You don't want that wife, I promise you. That husband would be saying the same thing, right? There's, there, when you're close, you, you recognize it and realize it. And for a lot of you here this morning, you, you know, you look at your family situations, your marriage situations. You're like, Mark, it's, it's, I'm just, the, you know, you feel like you're the smartest one in your family. You just are. You're just smarter than everybody else. If, if, if they would just ask you, you could fix all the problems. You know, you just need to take a bath. You need to go back to school. You just need to stop talking so much, and you need to talk more, and it would all be solved, but they never ask you, right? They just don't. They just don't want your opinion, and um, so this morning, I just want to encourage you with what Jesus says uh, in, in these scenarios, and he said some interesting things. Matthew chapter 7, if you Turn there in your Bible just so you know I'm not lying to you. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is sitting on a mountainside with his disciples and he's talking to them. And he says, He says this, He says, Don't judge others. Don't, hold on, I'm gonna go up on the mountainside. I mean, it was better for him, be better for me, right? So, don't, uh, he says, Don't don't judge others and you'll not be judged. He says, For you'll be treated as you treat others. You're going to be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you'll be judged. Basically, what he's saying is be very, very careful how you look at the person on the other side of the relationship you're in. No matter which one it is. No matter which one, be very careful. My, my nieces always make fun of me because I'm always telling this to my kids. I'm like, be very, very careful. And so they'll grab their nose and be like, Mark says, be very, very careful. Right? And they'll walk around. I'm like, oh, it's so annoying. Um, but, but just remember that because even if that just triggers in your mind. If be merry merry, careful about the other person on the other side of the relationship you're in. Why? Because how you treat that other person, it matters. It's, the, it's going to be reflected on how you're treated. And then so Jesus says, and why worry about a speck? in your friend's eye. And a speck, that thing is actually, if you look up the Greek words on speck, it's just—it's um, an agricultural term. It's actually uh, talking about the piece of chaff. If you're a farmer, you know what that is. It's when the shell of uh, wheat falls off the wheat. wheat's tiny little seed. The little shell falls off. It breaks into like a hundred pieces. One of those little hundred pieces is this speck that he's talking about. So he says, why are you worried about that tiny little speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? And so if you look up the Greek for log, it's log. All right, so then Um, He says, and how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? He says, hypocrite. And we don't want to talk about that, but we'll just talk about the next word. First. He says, first, get rid of the log in your own eye. You'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And for some they're thinking, you know, like they, they want to deal with other people's stuff. And, you know, a lot of times people have said, hey, you know, you just got to deal with your own stuff. You can't deal with, you know, you're not supposed to do anything about their stuff. You can't let them know or whatever. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you need to look first at you. You need to look first. And he's, he's saying to this, this, in this relationship, he's talking about a friend, about a brother. It's about somebody close. He says, you're so often looking for the specs, And for those of you who are looking for the specs in other people's lives, you'll know it by this this morning. Because you'll be sitting here and you're thinking right now, oh, man, I just wish my wife had been here this morning. She needs to hear this. You know, I wish that my kids were here and awake and listening to this because they so need it. Or my mother-in-law, she, like, needs to hear this at least twice, right? Like, if she would just get this, you know, looking for specs. And don't worry, we'll put it online for them. But I want to challenge you this morning (laughs) to listen for you to listen for you. The, 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 the best opportunity for a healthy life-giving relationships for you is to focus on you, is to take a look in the mirror. And you know, in the mirror, it's like looking like the puppy. You know, like you look in the mirror, it's like, oh, it's just so cute, right? Well, when you look in the mirror, it ain't, right? When you start looking in the mirror and see stuff, there's going to be stuff that's not just not going to be so cute. But I I, I challenge you, to, to, to think about those things. Because the only ingredient that you can change in the mix is you. When you have like a science experiment, you know, and things that explode, you put them together, the o- you know, baking soda and vinegar, I remember as a kid, you know, or Mentos and Diet Coke, or Alka-Seltzer and Seagulls, or, you know, you and and your dad, you know, you put those things together, they always have the same reaction, and so this thing for you, I want to encourage you that sometimes when you're looking at it, like, oh, there's always this explosion, and like, I wish they would change. I want to encourage you that the person and the one part of the experiment that you can change is is you. There's no guarantee that the other person's ever going to change. So for you this morning, it's looking at that idea of, okay, well, if they don't change, what can I do to change the mix of this experiment, of this relationship, and um, realize that the decisions that you make today are affecting your future relationship down the road. The decisions that you make now matter because they're seeds, and what we said in our financial course is the seeds that you're sowing are growing. What you're sowing is growing. You're going to reap from it down the road. So the Bible has a ton to say about relationships uh, a a lot. And actually, the whole book of the Bible is a story about relationship. It's about this idea of God having such a close friendship, talking, that, you know, hearing voice um, conversation with God and mankind. And, and then, you know, it goes to the betrayal where man's like, I don't want you, God. I can do this on my own. You know, I can do what I want to do. And, and I was like, oh, that didn't work so well. God, where are you? And, and, and then God's redemption plan to say, you know what, I'm, I love these people. I missed the relationship. I want to restore relationship. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll give my life for them. And then the future that we have, our future relationship with him, that he's paid for us if we would just receive it. We could have and live differently even now. Um, So in this series, we want to focus on family. We want to focus on marriage. Uh, And so there's going to be a number of things that we talk about. So, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, as you read through the kind of the books of the Bible in the Old Testament, a lot of them we don't really read too often because there are a lot of names and numbers. But in the Old Testament, there's all these examples of family relationships, but most of them are not good. They're, they're most of the stories you read are bad ones. So like every once in a while, I show my kids these fail videos on YouTube, uh, and I show them things like this. And I, I, and my son, Maddox, he looks at me, he's like, ow, dad, that would hurt. I'm like, and that's why you need to wear a helmet when you're biking. And he's like, okay. But, but he says, dad, I could do that on a mattress, right? I'm like, Yes, you're three. You probably could do that on a mattress. But it's this learn from this guy's mistake and, and wear a helmet. And, you know, as we read through the Bible and we see these stories in the Old Testament, we can learn from the mistakes that so many of them made. It started from day one. Adam, you know, the Bible talks about how Adam chose woman over God. And John Eldred says in one of his books that men have been doing that ever since. That's like this idea of, you know, what God wants, what she wants. Oh, man, you know. Sorry, God. He says, and it's gotten us into trouble. You know, Abraham, you know, this is just terrible marriage. Marriage, like he gave his wife away twice. <laughs> That's just a bad idea. You know, uh, Jacob, you know, Jacob had a favorite child, which is fine, except that he told all the other kids who he was. So he told all the other 11, this is my favorite child. That's just bad parenting, um, and we know it. And then those kids, the other 11, sold their brother. So, you know, sibling relationships just terrible. And he became a king and could have destroyed all their lives. It was, a, it was a bad, bad deal. David, he murdered a man just to cover up an affair that he had. The first homicide actually in the Bible was, was Cain killing his brother Abel. Two brothers, one they hate each other that much. You think you have family problems, they're not this bad. You know, he killed his brother and 25% of the world's population all in one shot. And then, uh, you know, the first civil war was, was David and his son, you know, destroying nations, fighting one another because they couldn't get along. And you think in your family, you got a battlefield. And like there's got to be somebody that got it right. But even Mary and Joseph, you know, they have one kid, and they lose him. You know, for three days, they can't find their own kid. Looking everywhere. You know, everybody gets it, gets it wrong. There's tons of lessons that we can learn of what not to do. But the New Testament comes through and introduces this brand new way of living. It doesn't tell a whole lot of stories of, hey, here's the perfect couple. Be them. It just introduces these, this brand new way of living in relationship with one another. And Jesus, he talked about this idea of relationship. That was something that the, that culture just had no concept of. When they heard it, they were like, this is just so strange. And, and he'd say things and do things, and people around him would just be left, like, scratching their heads, like, what is that? What are, you, what are you doing? This is just not normal. Because he would say things and do things that just, just were mind-boggling for them. It was just so un, unnormal back then. He'd say things like, let the children come to me. And we're like, oh, that's so sweet. You know, we see paintings, Jesus and the kids. You know, that's so cool. Jesus was, was, you know, hanging out with kids. That is not what that story is all about. Back in that day, kids meant nothing. They didn't even name their kids for a few years because, you know, they weren't sure if they were actually going to live. So they said, you know, the kids just were like a possession uh, in, in their lives. Um, and, you know, as, as they grew up in, in this culture that they're writing about, sometimes even in the Roman culture, they would adopt kids to leave their inheritance to them. So they instead say, my own kid's kind of, they're screw-ups. I'm just going to adopt someone else and, and let that kid have the inheritance. And some of your parents are like, that's a good idea, you know. Like, we should do that. Uh, where did that go, you know. But, but Jesus was saying, you know what, these kids, even though the disciples are like trying to chase them away, he's like, no, kids are important. They're like, kids are important? He's like, yeah, actually kids are this important. He puts a kid in front of them and says, listen, you guys take a look at this child. You guys need to be more like them. And they're like, What? Who says stuff like that? This kid's not worth nothing. And then the disciples would come back, and, you know, he'd say things like, love your enemies, and they'd be like, love your enemies. We hate Rome. And he's like, it doesn't matter. This kingdom's different. Relationship's different. And he's like, oh, you know, the, and, and, the, the, and then they'd go away to get him dinner, and they come back one night, and there he's, he's sitting, and they're looking like, that Jesus talking to a woman? Yeah, Jesus talking to a woman. What's he talking to? That's a Samaritan woman. What's he talking to a Samaritan think of the worst town around here. That's where she's from, right? he's like, who's that? What's Jesus doing talking to them? It just doesn't, and and they'd scratch their heads and be like, why? Because women were considered possessions back then some of you women, you're just happy to be born in this day and age. Jesus would side with the prostitute. He'd side with the tax collector. He'd side with people that were called sinners. He was always hanging out with them, and they couldn't figure it out. And then he, you know, he's the leader of the pack, and, and then he's the one who gets down and starts washing the disciples' feet, and they're like, you're the boss. Why are you doing this? He's like, because in my kingdom, the boss serves. And they're like, oh, this just not make any sense and we think in our country that women and children have value. We do. We, we just think that's normal too. But you want you want to know something? The only reason we think that's normal is because our country and the ones around us have founded our, our belief system about people based on what Jesus taught. We, we believe what Jesus taught about women and children. And that's why they're valued in our country. Every, every country that has embraced like a biblical worldview, for women and children, they fare better. It's better for them. Every culture in, in, our, in, our, in our world that strays away from that biblical worldview, women and children suffer. There's women and children right now all around the world that are, are, are fighting against their own religions to try and have the same rights that you guys have. And even the reverse is true as a country, as Canada. As we get further and further away from what, the, the, what Jesus talked about relationships, the first people that are going to suffer are going to be women and children. If we get away from what he said, hey, this is what it's all about, they're going to be the first ones. They're the first ones. You know, we just get, right, get away from marriage and we get away from some of the things Jesus talked about. They're the first ones that end up in poverty. They're the first ones that end up in, in that spot. And so Peter and Paul, you know, we sometimes think that, that this is like old-fashioned kind of concept and thoughts. And we think, you know, it kind of evolved, and we're evolving. And yeah, some of the stuff in the Bible, it's kind of like, it's a little bit ancient. You know, we're, we're more modern than that. We even have a show, Modern Family, to help us know what a real family looks like. And, you know, this is kind of let's, this other stuff. Eh, it's stuff my grandparents kind of talked about. But Peter and Paul, when they were talking about it, and they had heard what Jesus said, and they were writing to the churches around, they said, hey, listen, here's what Jesus talked about relationships, and here's how it affects you and your family, and here's how it affects you in your relationships. And back then, it would have been like, this is like brand new stuff. I, stuff they just never thought about. And here's what he wrote, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 to 20. He writes, he writes a bunch of things to a group of people who wouldn't have understood it at all like this. He writes to them. He writes wives. The only reason I put that up there is because that's for the wives. So husbands, not for you to read any further. This isn't your verse. You can't use it. You can't quote it. You shouldn't share it. Don't remind her of it. It's not written to you. So it says, wives, submit to your husbands. I don't even want to touch that one. I'm going to talk about that in a couple weeks. All right. So submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And then he goes on and says, husbands, okay, this one's for you. Right? So yeah, you listen. Husbands, he says, love your wives. And we're like, yeah, that's normal. Of course we we love our wives. That's why we married them. Back then, they didn't love their wives. They didn't even choose them most of the time. You know, and he's saying, you know, love your wife. He's like, love the woman that my parents chose for me. The one, no. You know, she's like, I have my cows, and then there's my wife. You know, she's kind of, you know, my, one of my possessions. And, and then he says, and never treat them harshly. And I'm like, that, that's mind-boggling, because that's how they treated them. They just, they owned them. You know, they treated them harshly. He said, listen, as a follower of Jesus, it's not like that anymore. It's love them, never treat them harshly. Then he goes on. He says, he says children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And, and, and they would be like, you wrote to us? We don't even matter. How? He wrote to children. He's, somebody's talking to us as if we matter and as if we actually have something we can do. And then he says to the fathers, his fathers, don't aggravate or don't exasperate your children or they're going to become discouraged. Don't lay negative words on your kids. And and the dads would have been like, what? My kids exasperate me, you know? What are you telling me about this for? You know, don't exasperate your children. And so he he kind of writes these things. We're like, yeah, that that sounds like uh, stuff that my grandparents would have kind of lived. But, you know, like... Nowadays, this, is just, this, isn't, this isn't normal. And so kind of the summary of if you want a happy family, here it is. Here's the summary. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Fathers, don't discourage your children. Children, obey your parents. Amen. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's great, except that doesn't look anything like my, own, my life. That doesn't look like anybody's lives that I actually know. You know, um, maybe there's some, but I don't know them. And it's this ideal relationship. But it's not real life. You know, some of you look at it and go, you know what? Yeah, husbands love your wives. If you knew my wife, if Jesus knew my wife, he wouldn't have wrote this to me, right? And for some, they're like, this wife, submit to your husband. He's like, he's not worth submitting to. Children, it's like, obey your parents. Like, my parents haven't had a new thoughts in like 20 years, you know? They do not understand reality. Like, I'm not listening to them. And then children, you know, the, the fathers don't discourage your children. You're like, oh, you know. Yeah, there's probably a bunch of words I'd like to take back, and I know it even myself. We do this one by accident a lot of times. We say stuff we don't even realize, and all of a sudden you see their, their response, and they're like crushed. You're like, ooh, I, I didn't mean it. We'll talk about why we don't actually go back and say, hey, I, I didn't mean it um, in a couple of weeks, but it's this ideal, and sometimes this ideal seems so impossible and it creates this tension. Okay, the Bible says, but this is my real family. We don't like the tension in between. So we try and solve it. We want to we pick a side. But you know what? Jesus didn't, he didn't solve the tension at all. Jesus always taught and pointed to this ideal. He kept saying, here's the ideal. Here's what it should look like. Here's what I came to help restore. This is what it's all about. This is what it looks like. And it says then he refused to condemn anyone who fell short of that ideal. He lived in this tension, and in the same Sermon on the Mount, he did with all kinds of other things. He'd say things like this, you know, like, you've heard it said that, you know, if you murder somebody, you're going to be judged for that. And we're like, yeah, that makes sense. If you murder somebody, you're going to be judged. That's, that's, that's kind of where it is. That's a standard. And he says, well, I'm taking it up to here. He says, if, you, if you're angry at somebody without real good cause, he says, you're going to be in judgment for that. It's the same as murder. And they're like, what? That's kind of That's kind of harsh. And then he says, yeah, and well, we're on the topic, let's keep talking. He says, you know, if you guys have heard it said, if a person commits adultery, you know, that's, um, you, you're um, going to be judged for that. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, okay. And they would think, okay, adultery, my body with someone else's body, okay. You know, I haven't done that. And he says, yeah, I want to take it up a step. If you've even looked at a woman lustfully at all, if you've even thought of having sex with her, you are guilty of adultery. And he raised the standard here. And all the men in that audience and probably here today and all, possibly all the women, I can't talk for you, but all of a sudden all of them become adulterers. And then he's like, they're all like, what? This is like this standard of so high. Like what, what happened? And Jesus creates this ideal and points this ideal. And like, well, nobody can keep that. And he says, you know what? I'm going to raise the ideal. But we talked about how Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was never afraid to talk about what was true. But he was so willing to also say on the same breath that my grace is bigger my grace is bigger than your failure. Yes, here's what it should be. You know, every wife in this place would love it if their, their husband only ever thought about them, right? That ideal, that, that makes perfect sense to make relationships better. That ideal works. He says, for those of you who've failed, for those of you who've missed it, I've got grace for you. I've got forgiveness for you. But don't forget that this is where the ideal is. And so he raised the standard. and He made grace even bigger. And, and, and then he, he shared this story, Matthew chapter 19. So the Pharisees came to him, and they were testing him. Or testing him, you know. This wasn't like, "Hey Jesus, let's have a fun conversation." <laughs> Nobody really likes tests, right? When they kind of put you on the spot, and you know, your boss comes to see, "Hey, did you read that manual about the stuff?" Yeah, okay. Uh, what's this? What's the answer to this question? You're like, oh! You know, where your teacher's like, "Ah, pop quiz!" You're like, "Oh!" And it was the same thing. They just showed up and said, "Hey Jesus, uh, we got something for you." And they said to him, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason?" And back in that day, and back in that culture, their, their idea of no fault divorce. Uh, if a man didn't like his wife and didn't want to be married anymore, he just had to say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and they were divorced. No lawyers, no compensation packages, no alimonies, just just done. And if the wife wanted to do, uh, she didn't like her husband and she wanted to get divorced, tough luck. (laughs) She's stuck. They had no rights. And so, They're coming up to him and they're talking, they're asking him this question because they know that all these people around are going to have some strong feelings about this topic as they will even today. He said to them, he said to this in uh, the next verse, he says, and he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them, even that, have you not read, that's all these guys did, the Pharisees, all they did was read. And so he says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning? He says, you guys want to talk about right now, but let's talk about the beginning. You guys want to talk about real life right now, but let's talk about the ideal. Let me remind you what it was at the beginning. God made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. And the two, the two are going to become one. They're not going to be two anymore. This idea of marriage is not just like, hey, let's hang out together for as long as it works for us. The two become one. And God puts them together like two becoming one. And then he says this. So then they are no longer two. They're not, they're not their own anymore. They're one from then on. They're one flesh. So therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. So they're asking, hey, you know, what's the, what's the idea of this whole divorce thing? He's like, let nobody separate. This isn't just kind of like an idea of, hey, we'll, we'll kind of hang out close to each other for a while. He's like, you guys become one. And you're, nobody can un-one what God made one. So he says, here's an ideal that I'm, I'm, I want to bring you back to. And all of a sudden they're like, uh... Okay, test is over. Tell us what you're talking about, because yes, we've read that, but this doesn't make sense. So then they said to him, "All right, fine. So then, if that's the case, why did Moses command um, to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away?" So they're like, well, we can't get him on that, but let's try and get him on him against Moses, because that'll screw stuff up as well. And and Jesus said to them, "Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you." So they're saying, "Why did Moses command?" He's like, "He didn't command." He permitted you, and it's because of the hardness of your hearts, he permitted you to divorce from your wives. But from the beginning, from the beginning, that might be what the real is right now, but from the beginning, the ideal, it's never been like that. He says, and I say to you, um, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, marries another, commits adultery. Whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And his disciples said to him, man, if that's the case, it's better not to get married. Somehow, nobody uses this as their wedding scripture. I don't, I don't know why. But they're in the same thing. And some of you here, you're cringing right now. And you're like, Ugh, I, duh, duh. why are we talking about this? I want to tell you something that, that Jesus never strayed away from this tension. He, he said, listen, you guys want to talk about this is what's real. But I want to tell you about the ideal. Marriage was never meant to be this throwaway thing that you guys are talking about. It was meant to be this thing of two becoming one that never, never changes. And you know what? Jesus, even though he had the ideal, he never let that hinder him from ministering to the real. He never let the idea of, hey, this is what it should be, stop him from actually ministering to people where they were really at. And we as his followers should be the same. See, but we hate that tension. We hate that spot. We don't like that thing in the middle, and so we want to try and pick a side. So for some, some churches, some people, some believers, some followers are going to pick this side and be like, it's the ideal. Man, woman, married for life. And if that's not the case, you're not welcome here. And we pick that side and think, oh, you know, we're good with that because we just, it's, there's no tension. At least we've cut it clean. We've made a stand. And then there's the other side where there's people who are like... Oh, Mark, there's so many people that are divorced. There's so many people that haven't been able to make it work. And God's a God of grace. And, you know, he forgives. And so we put this side. And then we say, you know what? Because there's so many people, we just don't want to hurt any feelings. And I don't like the tension of there. We're just going to put this. And let's just not talk about those Bible verses. Let's just not talk about those things in there. And yet, you know what? Jesus said there's something that he just showed by his life that he just lived right here in the middle lived right there in the tension. It says something so important to us because as we, have the full, we got the full um, version of Matthew. So we got all the stuff that happened after this conversation. So if, if they were sitting there, you know, and it's not written in the Bible, but this, this idea, the disciples probably would have been like, and the Pharisees would have been asking things like, okay, Jesus, so... You just basically said everybody who got divorced is in, in trouble, and that's not the way it was supposed to be. You just set the ideal up here. And they'd be like, so Jesus, what are you going to do to all the divorced people then now? What are you going to do to them? They can't, they can't fix it. Jesus would have said, I'm not going to do anything to them. I came to do something for them. I'm not here to say, you know, they're so, you know, so wrong, and this is, you know, I came here to judge. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. He says, I came to help fix what's been broken. But he says, I don't want you to forget about the ideal. Because in forgetting the ideal, you lose something so important. You lose the future. And so, you know, they would have said, you know, okay, fine. So you, you came to save them. So and, and you said, this is the rule. But is it a rule or is it not a rule? Because, you know, here it is. But if they don't, then it's okay. So is it a rule or not a rule? And Jesus would have said, Yes. Yes. Is it a rule? Yes. Is it not a rule? Yes. Why? Because I'm not here for rules. I'm here for people. I'm here for people. But I cares about relationships. And here's why this is so important. We're so tempted to pick a side. We're so tempted to pick a side. And whether we're in that situation or not, we're so tempted to choose one or the other. But I want to I ask you this question. Are you willing to embrace an ideal of what God says about family and relationship and marriage, even if it's never going to be the real for you? Even if it's too late for that to be the real for you, will you be willing to embrace the ideal knowing that His grace covers all the spots that have, have messed up? And, or, or are you tempted to say, you know what, I, I don't want that because I can feel better about myself if I just don't think about those verses? Because there's going to be a number of them over the next couple of weeks that we look at. And we're like, ah, oh, that's the ideal. And we're going to kind of live in this tension. But it's healthy to do so. Because as we live here and learn how to live in this, with, you know, successfully, we're going to treat others with that same thing and be able to do what Jesus did. And simply minister to people. You know, he never let he never let the ideal or his theology stop him from ministering to real people. You know, that woman got caught in the act of adultery and brought to him. Picture that for a second. Just keep it clean. But he pictures this woman caught in the act of adultery and they drag her to Jesus and they throw her down in front of him and say, hey, you know, this woman, we caught her in the act of adultery. What are we supposed to do? And, and, you know, for that woman, Jesus, that's not going to be the ideal situation. You don't want to be caught in your worst sin and then brought before the most holy person on the planet and said, here you go. That's not ideal. And yet Jesus didn't shy away from it at all. He got right down there beside her. And he, he just said, hey, I'm, I'm with you. I'm here for for you. I'm here to to uh, rescue you and give you a second chance. And he says, you know what, here, he sends all the other ones away with the ideal of, hey, any of you guys sinned? <clears> then <throat> you, you know, if you haven't sinned, you can throw the first stone. And that left everyone else out. He says, why? Because the grace, he says, it's here. But he says he never leaves the ideal. And, and here's, here's just what I want to say kind of, you know, in closing this morning is this idea is this thought that if Jesus didn't, didn't leave the ideal, if he kept pointing to and he kept embracing the ideal, but offering grace to others, then I feel that we as a church need to do the same thing. We need to do the same thing. And why is it so important? It's so important for the very first thing we said this morning. Our future relationships depend on this. Our future relationships, most of those are downstairs right now. Do you know, because even though we say, hey, as the Bible might say this, and, you know, it might be painful to navigate this, and it might be painful to bring up some of these thoughts if we leave the ideal, if we just say, you know what, our culture says marriage isn't important anymore, and our culture says that, you know, divorce is just so common, and our culture creates this new reel right here that just says this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to be. We leave our future relationships open to an incredible amount of hurt. So just forget about the Bible for one second just forget about what it says about the ideal let me just ask you this do you think that any divorced person in this place wishes that their child would grow up and be divorced no cuz even us we don't even want that do you think that any single parent growing up raising children says man my i sure wish that my kids grew up to be single parents someday we don't we don't and jesus is saying this idea don't forget the ideal Yes, it might not be the real for everyone, but keep keep your eyes on what's ideal. Keep going for that. And here's the thing for parents. So many parents, as I talk to you, you've dropped the ideal for your kids because you didn't live up to the standard. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't drop the standard and say, you know what? Hey, I I can't tell my kids to live this way because I never did it. I can't tell my kids to stay a virgin before they get married because I never did it. I can't tell my kids to not look at porn because I never did it. I can't tell my kids not to, uh, you know, date or marry an unbeliever because I never did it. Do you know what? This whole idea of Jesus where he's saying, it's tension, yes. It might bring up some, inc- some difficult things, yes. But for the future relationships in our lives, he says, embrace the ideal. Embrace what might seem old-fashioned because it actually brings a chance for life and hope. And for those who can't and for those who haven't and for those who have missed the ideal, he says, hey, there's grace here. He forgives. You don't need to feel guilty or ashamed or any of that stuff. You don't need that undue amount of tension that the enemy loves to pour on us, he says, because he covered it. He covered it. He took care of it. Jesus changed the world with his views on relationship. Women and children here today, your world has been changed because of what he said. And so we dare not move away from the ideal because it would take away the dignity for women and children. We dare not move away from the ideal because it would take away the opportunity for future relationships to experience the, the joy that maybe some of us haven't. So as a church, we want to keep pointing to the ideal. In this, in this series on relationships where I think every one of us has one at least relationship that we like, oh, that one probably could be better. There's going to be things that as we look at and realize we've got to look in the mirror. So this morning, the challenge stays there. You can't change anybody else. Keep looking at what it is for you. And maybe this morning it's something that just triggers in you. You're like, ah, that's something i got to do. That's Holy Spirit in you. That's, that, that, you're the ones who are going to work that out. Nobody can look down. Nobody can condemn. Nobody can. Because his grace says you can't. You can't. You're good. I don't know about you, but I want to be and live like Jesus to embrace the real and just offer grace to the people that we meet, people that I meet, people that I see. I believe that's what he would want for us as a church, and I believe that's what our our country and our relationships really need. Would you join me to pray, father thank you that's that that is who you are It's your dad that you're a good dad that you've designed us for a relationship, and you know how they work best. God as we go through some of this stuff and 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 wrestle with some of it and talk about some of it, uh, maybe even throughout the week as Couples are talking about it. Holy Spirit, I know that you're right there, too. Would you uh, lead and guide our conversations and our thoughts throughout this week as we um, pursue you and desire to live our relationships the way you desire? Um, Father, I pray for those who are in the middle of really difficult situations right now. I just pray that, that your words would be alive on the inside, that those seeds would grow in their lives and that they would see, begin to experience Um, what love really looks like and what it can do in in their relationships and in their lives. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. When we didn't deserve it at all, you laid down your life for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. May we go out from this place just living in that, knowing that we're forgiven and free, and we show that grace to everyone around us, especially those in our immediate family. Love you, Father. Thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. It's in your name we pray. Amen.